What's up, Red Rocks Church? Hey, listen, I know I say this every weekend, but I'm gonna unapologetically say it again this weekend. We're gonna have an awesome time of church, okay? One of the reasons it's gonna be awesome is because we have a special guest speaker this weekend. This is a longtime friend of mine. In fact, he's one of my favorite humans on planet Earth. We go back about 20 years. I knew him when he was a junior hire in the youth group that Sean and I used to be youth pastors at. I have watched over the last two decades the trajectory of Ryan's life, his marriage, his parenting, and his ministry. And I'm telling you, we are in for a treat today. He is a man of God. He is an incredible communicator and teacher of God's word. And so I'm just asking us this, can we do this? Can we give him when he comes to the stage the most gracious round of applause that we possibly can at every campus, whether he's live or on one of the screens? Would you guys just welcome him in only the way that Red Rocks Church welcomes? people. Would you do this? Welcome to the stage for me, Ryan Lee. Thank you. Thank you. Red Rocks Church, how are you doing? It is so good to be with you this weekend. I want to take a moment to greet everybody at God Behind Bars, Arvada, Evergreen, Brussels, Lakewood, and people watching all over the world, Facebook, wherever you're watching from, we want to say hello. Hey, there's a couple things that you have to know about me before we get started uh, with our message today. The first thing is this. I am married to a beautiful woman named Amanda Roman Leak, and I believe we have a picture of her. Now, as you look at this picture, I know the first thing you're thinking is, how in the world did he get her? <laughs> Allow me to explain. Uh, about six years ago, I overheard my wife tell a friend she thought it'd be cool to get engaged and married on the same day. I had no idea what that meant, so I guessed, okay? So I started planning our wedding behind her back, and so over the course of two years and the help of Pinterest, she had 242 photos in which it called My Dream Wedding that gave me a little assistance. Therefore, <laughs> on June 7, 2013, I get down on one end. I said, baby, will you marry me? She said, yes. I said, just kidding. Will you marry me today? She's like, what? Then we opened up a ballroom door and a hundred of our family and friends were standing in there with a sign that said, today! <laughs> and then uh, we rolled in the uh, a makeup artist, hairstylist, the dress, bridesmaids, everything that you would need to get engaged and married on the same day. Now you can go home and type in the surprise wedding or you can do that now, well, well wait till I'm done. But um, you, you can watch the surprise wedding, it's 30 minutes and you can see us get engaged and married on the same day and that's our story. It went viral, got like a million and a half views and uh, got to do some fun stuff. So that's our story, okay? Engaged and married on the same day, started having sex right away and had a baby. This is Jackson Carter Leak. If you're wondering, this is our son. The, the pride and joy of our life, he's a future first round draft pick in the NBA, just in case you're taking notes, you can go ahead and write that down too, Jackson Carter Leak, and uh, that, that, that's my family. Uh, but today we're going to be looking at a story that I believe is going to change the game for your life. If you have ever lived with any type of limitations, I believe that God is going to do something wherever you're watching from, wherever you're listening from, that God is going to lift something off of you any label that has been holding you back from being exactly who God has called you to be. I believe God's going to do something magnificent in our time together. The story is found in Matthew chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, we have an electronic one that'll be on the screen. It's, the Bible says this, Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. The Bible says this, immediately after this, they're talking about Jesus feeding the 5,000. Jesus insisted 
that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. Over the next few moments, I would love to speak to you on the subject of a walk to remember. Let's pray. Father, in these next few moments, I pray, Lord God, that you would help us get out of our comfort zone and become the people you've always wanted us to be. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Everybody say it. I am a consummate endorsement. Now, that doesn't mean I don't like the great outdoors. It's that I believe the great outdoors don't like me, okay? I, I, I've had some bad experiences outside, okay? Uh, when I was a kid, I, I used to get stung by a bee, swelled up, almost died. Um, I used to get chased by a dog all the time, almost died. Now, here's the thing. Whenever I go to somebody's house and they have a dog, I'm like, hey, man, can you put the dog away? Please, please put the dog away. They're like, Snickers isn't gonna bite you. I'm like, listen. I don't have a problem with wild animals. I have a fear that animals will go wild. When somebody tells me that Skittles isn't going to bite me, I'm like, listen, this is how every interview starts off on animals gone wild. Hi, Snickers would never bite a soul and then out of nowhere. He just bit this guy's arm off and you could die. Okay, I, I, just, I, just, I just can't do it. I remember the first time I went to the beach. My aunt and uncle took me to the beach and I did what everybody does at the beach the first time. Anybody that grew up watching Baywatch, you run to the ocean and you dive in. I dove in, salt water hit my throat, almost choked, almost died. Um, then my aunt, she's like, hey, Ryan, as you're playing in the ocean, you only got to be careful for a few things. Number one, swordfish. Number two, sharks. Number three, jellyfish. You won't see the jellyfish, but you'll see the shark. If you see the shark, you're probably going to die. So one way or another, I'm just like, hey, me and the outdoors aren't having a good relationship right now because there's just something bad things happen to good people outside. Um, um, people be like, hey, we need to go get some fresh air. Have your kids ever come in from outside and you went, mmm, cherry blossom. You smell awesome. Like, I don't understand it. Okay. My wife was like, Ryan, let's go for a walk. I said, babe, ain't no problem. Let's go for a walk. Grabbed her hand and we walked around our kitchen two times. <laughs> and we sat back down on the couch. She said, I meant outside. I said, hey, if you want to go out there in the jungle, you go right ahead. Okay. We don't know this neighborhood. We have not scouted it out. There could be dogs everywhere and I don't want to die. Okay. So, um, we ended up in Israel. Uh, we had a uh, wonderful opportunity to go with our church, and we actually get to go where this story takes place, the Sea of Galilee. So our hotel was about 500 feet away from the sea. So I'm like, oh, this is cool. And I had jet lag, so I couldn't sleep. So uh, I'm reading in the Bible that this story took place at 3 in the morning, and I just so happened to be up at 3 in the morning. So I'm like, okay, great. I'm going to go to the Sea of Galilee because I want to know what the disciples were going through at 3 a.m. So I start walking towards the Sea of Galilee. It's pitch black. And all of a sudden, I start hearing noises in the bushes. I was like, hey, hey, man. Well, what's that? And then all of a sudden, I heard another noise. Now, here's the deal. I couldn't see it, but I had the sinking suspicion that it could very well see me. And they're like, Ryan, what could be in the Sea of Galilee? I don't want to find out, okay? I don't want to die. And, and I'm, like, I'm like, okay. And I, I feel like the Lord's like, come on, go out to the Sea of Galilee. And I keep walking. All of a sudden, I see a cat go, tss, 
I said, listen, that's the devil, okay? That is the devil. I feel God calling me back to the hotel lobby, okay? So, uh, so nevertheless, I fully understand why Peter and the disciples would see Jesus walking towards them and say the following, it's a ghost. I would have been running. Like, like, like if, if I saw a ghost, I'm paddling as far away from the ghost as I possibly can. But there's, there's no wonder that they were terrified because in the pitch blackness, when you're, when you're, when you're standing there, there, there's a picture that, that I have. Um, you can see this is the Sea of Galilee. And, and part, some people wonder, why did Jesus have to walk on water? But when you're at the Sea of Galilee, you realize he had to walk on water because it was easier than walking all the way around. <laughs> it's, it's, it's more practical when you're there. You're like, yeah, that makes sense. It took him a while to walk, man. That would have been... And if he would have swam, clothes heavy, who wants to do that? So Jesus is like, hey, I got to go help my friends. And, and we pick up in the story, and, and, and I love, I love what, what, what happens. It, it, when we, you can actually see this picture as well. This is a picture of a boat that we were on, on the Sea of Galilee. And what I love about this verse and this passage is that Jesus simply told the disciples to go home. And when they went home... They found themselves in a storm. And some people have fallen for the notion that following Jesus means you will have a storm-free life. That following Jesus somehow means that I won't have any problems. I'm not going to have any marriage problems. I'm not going to have any money problems. I'm not going to have any problems with my kids because I'm a Jesus follower. And perhaps people that do what I do for a living have sold people on a lifestyle that if you follow Jesus, you're just going to be all happy all the time. No storms. No, in fact, following Jesus doesn't mean that you will have a storm-free life. Following Jesus means you will have an anchor for every storm you go through. Maybe you're sitting here. Maybe you're watching online, and you've been living your life without an anchor. That's what following Jesus really gives you. And, 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 the, and the thing that they say, he says, in their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. He says this, don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Then Peter called to him and said, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Now, I don't know about you, but hey, if I'm talking to the Casper the Friendly Ghost, I'm not trying to play truth or dare with the guy, okay? Uh, uh, that's, just, that's just not what I'm trying to do. Like, like, like Peter, you could have asked Jesus a different question. Like, Jesus, if it's you... Tell me what my favorite food is. <laughs> Jesus yelled back, fish. Everybody loves fish. Everybody loves fish, especially in the Bible. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It's like, okay, you might be right. But a better question for Peter isn't, Jesus, if it's you, ask me to come walk on water. A better question for Peter would be, Jesus, calm the storm. Six chapters before this, that's exactly what Jesus did in the midst of a storm. In fact, it's perhaps what he's known for in the Bible. It's his go-to move. So isn't that our go-to prayer in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of a trial? We will go, Jesus, calm the storm. Jesus, calm the waves. It's your go-to move and it's our go-to prayer. So why don't the two meet in the middle? Like just, just calm the storm. Jesus, if it's really you, calm the waves. Sometimes that is our exact prayer, but for some reason it was different for Peter. It wasn't enough for Peter just to ask Jesus to calm the storm. He wanted more, and here's why. You have to understand something for Peter. He was rejected as a young boy. 
And most Jewish young men were. You see, in, in the Jewish educational system, there were three levels of education. The first level, where you would actually memorize the first five books of the Bible. All of the students would do this. They would memorize the Torah, known in Jewish culture, and then they would be questioned about it. So somebody could walk up to them and say, what does Leviticus 19.7 say? And they'd be able to recite it off the top of their head. That was just level one. Level two, they actually had the entire Old Testament memorized. These were insanely bright boys, but it still wasn't good enough to follow a rabbi at level three, once it was all said and done, the creme de la creme, the Harvard grad students, if you will, they would, a rabbi, if they thought that a student was not just good enough, not just smart enough, but they would actually have to have the ability to be just like the rabbi in every way. In fact, historians would tell you that there were some Jewish boys that when they would follow the rabbi, if the rabbi had gotten to an age where he was walking with the limp with the stick, that young boys would actually break off limbs of a tree and pretend to walk with the limp because they wanted to be like the rabbi. So bad. And what you have to understand is that most of the time, most Jewish young boys were simply told, you're not good enough to follow me. So go home and do your family trade. So at some point in Peter's life, this is what was told to him. It's cool that you know scriptures, but you're not good enough. Go home and just be a fisherman. You'll never be more than that. So the opportunity to follow a rabbi was the greatest opportunity in society. This is why when Jesus came to Peter and said, follow me. That's why he dropped everything he had. Because Jesus was giving him an opportunity to be everything society said he could never be. In a moment, every label. It's like, you mean I could be more than a fisherman? I'm not as good as these other students. I, are you, you're choosing me? Of course I'll quit my job. Of course I will surrender my life to you because this is the greatest opportunity I've ever had. And I didn't drop everything to just sit in a boat of mediocrity. I want to follow you. I want to be just like you. And if you're going to walk on water, so am I. Because I... I I didn't leave everything just to sit in a boat. And I don't think you did either. I think there's something on the inside of you that has been stirring. I think there's a dream on the inside of you that you have kept dormant for way too long just because society has put a label on you that has limited to you. Maybe you think, well, I don't have a degree, so I can't. Or I'm a woman, so I can't. Or I'm a man, so I can't. Oh, I'm rich, so I can't. I'm poor, so I can't. I'm not pretty enough. I need to work out more. Whatever you think you need more accolades to be. It's interesting that when Jesus asks a person to follow them, all of those labels fall to the distance. And Jesus goes, the thing that makes you qualify is that you're following the rabbi. The thing that makes you qualified isn't your accolades. It isn't your stuff, and it isn't your status. It's me. And so Peter is sitting in a boat going, I'm tired of sitting in a boat if my rabbi is walking on water. I would like to join him. And then the Bible tells us this. It tells us that Jesus answers the invitation. says, yes, come. Jesus says, so Peter went over to the side of the boat and walked on water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and waves, he was terrified 
and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. This is a man who has perhaps made a bad decision. Uh, he's like, I really want to be like the rabbi, but maybe I'm not ready. But uh, I left mediocrity, but now I'm out in deep waters, and now I'm about to die. And he doesn't want to. And, and then he had, he had shouted, save me, Lord. And then, then Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. And he said, you have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? In the midst of his drowning, a hand reached down to pick him up. And then the Bible says something that I find very, very interesting. It says this in Matthew chapter 14, verse 32. It says, when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. Wait a second. So follow me for a second. Peter has the utmost courage. He isn't afraid to fail whatsoever. He gets past all of these societal labels that have been put on him and goes, I'm not just a fisherman anymore. I follow the rabbi. I'm following the greatest man that ever lived, so I'm going to go try and be like him in every way that I can. And so he gets out of the boat and he starts walking away. He's like, oh my gosh, this is working. And then he begins to look at the winds and the waves and he begins to drown. A hand reaches down and picks him up. And then the Bible skips over a very strategic part of the story. It just simply says, he picked him up and he said, why'd you doubt me? And then the next thing we see, whoop, they're already at the boat. And then the Bible tells us that once they got back in the boat, the storm ceased. So here's what we have to conclude. Peter walked an unknown amount of feet towards Jesus. And when they got back in the boat, that is when the storm stopped. So we must conclude that Peter and Jesus walked back through the storm together. And I have a sinking suspicion that there are too many people in this room and watching online that are walking through a storm by themselves. All by yourself. And you think that you can save yourself. Why would you do that? Why would you willingly walk through the storm alone? I just have this picture in my head of, of Jesus talking to Peter, having a walk to remember that he couldn't get inside the safety of his boat, just walking with him through the storm. It's like, why'd you doubt me? In fact, if you really do the math, they walked on water twice for Peter. He's going... I couldn't get a walk to remember inside the boat, but I got one once I went out in deep water and I wasn't afraid to fail. The Bible says this in Proverbs chapter three. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And if you put your trust in the Lord, he will then direct your path or some versions will say direct your steps. Here, here's the interesting thing of why it says this. What, you have so many areas of your life where you make decisions leaning on your own understanding. Why, why would you do that? And you have been, and maybe you're good, maybe you're a good business owner, you got it together and that's cool, okay. But why would you want to be in charge of directing your own steps? It's exhausting. Perhaps you were never meant to direct your own path. Perhaps you were never meant to direct your own steps. Is there an area of your life where you say, I got it. Can you imagine if today was the day that you said, okay, God, how about you drive? 
How about you make the decisions? How about you take care of my relationships? How about you take care of my career? How about you take care of my finances? How about I surrendered that to you because I've been trying to manage that on my own? And how's that been working out for you? I mean, like, how good are you at getting your kids to do what you want them to do? And yet you've been trying. How good are you at getting your employees to be what you want them to? Like, at what point are you going to say, God, this is your business? At what point are you going to say, God, this is your marriage? Because how good are you at fixing your own marriage? How good are you at fixing your own debt? How good are you? Why? Because you're not supposed to. You were meant to, in all your ways, acknowledge him. And you were meant to put your trust in him because he is a better writer of your story than you are. And for Peter, he's going, I want to live my life in a place where feet fail, but my God doesn't. Red Rocks Church, are you going through a storm? And if you are, are you going through it alone? Some of us, our biggest prayer has been, Lord, stop the storm. Perhaps your better prayer should be, Lord, walk with me. I don't care if there's a storm. I, I would rather be with you out in deep water in the midst of a storm than in a safe boat without you. Where are you, Lord? Maybe the best prayer that you could pray today is, God, walk with me. God, walk with my family. Maybe you as a man, maybe the thing that you need to do is you need to go home. And maybe regardless of what your financial situation is, maybe you need to pull out a dollar bill and get the kids around the corner and say, hey, kids, I want to teach you about money. Look on the back of this. And here's what it says. In God, we trust. It doesn't matter how much of this we have. It doesn't matter if, 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 if we've got student loan. It, it doesn't, all of that doesn't matter because at the end of the day, this is what I want you to know. When you go to college, when you go off, and when you've got to manage a household on your own, this is the one thing I want you to teach them. Maybe you don't know about portfolios. Maybe you don't know about investments. You don't know how to do E-Trade. You don't even understand all that language. Nevertheless, this is the thing I can teach you. Simple. I'll circle it with a red Sharpie. In God, we trust. And maybe we haven't done that lately, but we will now. Because if I'm honest, I'm exhausted trying to trust myself. Because how, how, how is that really going to help me? And perhaps you might be sitting here today and going, I need to do something that puts me in deep water so that I have to walk with God. I don't want to do anything in my life that doesn't require him. I don't want to do anything that puts separation between me and him. I, I want to live a life that makes me get out of the boat on a consistent basis to go, I have no idea what I'm doing. And we're addicted to looking like we know what we're up to. But can you imagine a bunch of people that just go, I don't like mediocrity. And I don't like labels. But I love Jesus. And I'm just trying to follow the rabbi. I'm just, I'm just trying to be like him in every single way. So I'm going to do whatever I possibly can to not live my life limited by anything anybody else has to say about me. Here's what you have to know. God has a plan for your life, and so do other people. They have an idea of where you should live. They have an idea of who you should date, who you should marry, how much money you should make, the emblem that should be on your car. They have an idea and a plan and a strategy for what your kids should be doing all the time, what college they should go to. And that's okay. People can have their plans for your life, but it cannot, it cannot overcome 
the plan that God has for your life? Are you surrendered to that? Have you acknowledged him? Have you acknowledged that plan in all of your ways? And when you do, all of a sudden, you don't find yourself just having a life. You find yourself living a real life outside of your comfort zone. I had a, a friend about two years ago. Um, her name was Liz. Uh, Liz was a, a go-getter. Liz was uh, the type of person that always went the extra mile for people, uh, quite literally. Um, I always say, um, you will, the, the best test of who your true friends are is who's there for you on move-in day. You, know, you don't like moving your own stuff, let alone other people's stuff. So, so people, like, you be like, hey, man, can you help me move? They're like, yeah, yeah, man, I'll be there. 20 people sign up. About three people show up. And people get the craziest excuses as to why they can't help you. They're like, oh, man, I got soccer practice. You'd be like, okay, wait a minute. You don't even play soccer. I signed up today. I mean, like, they, like they're, they're always, they magically have a hair appointment. Like, there's always something that comes up. And the same thing happened to me, except the only person that was available out of my 20 friends that bailed was Liz. But Liz didn't have a car, and it was raining outside. I said, hey, if there's any way you could get there, just, just let me know. I said, there's a key underneath the tire. I'm in the moving truck at the new place. If you can, great. If you can't, no big deal. Liz put on a raincoat and drove and, and, and ran three miles through downtown Dallas in the rain to help me move, packed up the car and brought it to the new place. And I'm going, oh my gosh, this is, this is all, like, thank you so much. Well, Liz, unfortunately, uh, passed away of stage four cancer. And... I began to think about the type of person that she was. And we end up at, a, at her memorial service, celebration service, and the place was packed, standing room only. And I thought I was the only person with a literal extra mile story. Well, in my case, it was an extra three mile story. And, but everybody had one just like it. Yeah, there was this one time Liz showed up out of nowhere. There was this one time, oh, and... And before you know what, what was supposed to be a somber day was actually a pretty happy one because we were playing the one-up game. Like, no, I have a better Liz story. No, 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 no. I got the best Liz story. It's like we were just going back and forth, and her husband got up, and he spoke for 45 minutes, and he titled his message, 25 Things I Learned from My Wife Lizzie. And, and here was number one. Hey, go. He goes, hey, guys, this is what Liz taught me to do. She taught me to do crap. We were like, huh? He's like, do crap. Just do crap. And, and then she, he goes, number two, the thing the list taught me was not just to do crap, but do crap today. <laughs> Be, because everybody plans on doing something awesome later. And, and I walked away from, from that celebration service with this thought. Become today who you intend to be tomorrow. Become today who you intend to be tomorrow. You're not going to lose weight on Monday. You're, you're not going to start saving next paycheck. You're, 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 you're just not. Like, you're going to eat healthy for one meal. You order one salad, and you act like that wiped away every bad meal you ever had in your life. You're like, hey, I had a salad. I'm feeling pretty good. You know, I'm feeling pretty good. No, you're not. You got to start today. And this... Uh, led me on a journey of me having a little bit of self-reflection and, and, and reading this passage. And, I, and I'm going, man, what, what would I do if I knew I couldn't fail? Like, this is a question that really brings something out of you. Like, like if, if I knew I couldn't fail and like, I didn't care what people thought about me or their plans or what their expectations were of me, like, like what's the thing I would do? And when I answered the question, I was like, well, I, I, I can't fail. Like, you can't fail. I'm talking to myself. It's like, I can't fail, Ryan. It's like, okay, well, I'd be in the NBA. It's like, why not? 
Now, for those of you who can't tell, I am 6'3 and uh, pretty good at basketball. I'm 24-hour fitness good, not NBA good. Nevertheless, <laughs> there is a difference, okay? Now, I was All-American in college, so, so I, I, I can play, but it, it, I'm on that fence of like, but could I be in the NBA? Like, like, you may have been to an NBA game before and go, oh, man, I love this. I would go to an NBA game and be like, I could guard him. I could play with them. Like, like that, that, that was sort of my MO, and I just went, man, I... If I knew I could, I would probably be, be in the NBA. And so I, I, I'm like, you know what? That's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to be in the NBA. So I started getting back in all-American shape. I'm like, dude, I'm trying to live life. Let's go. And, and I, I'm getting back in shape. And I'm feeling great. And one of my friends actually played for the Chicago Bulls, and then they waved him. They, they cut him from the team. And he comes back to Dallas, and we're playing one-on-one at the gym. So I'm 6'3", by 195, soaking wet. He is 6'5", about 240. So, um, so we're playing one-on-one. He's beat me by like 11 to 6 every single time. There was a clear gap between us. And, and I just remember sitting in a gym in Dallas thinking to myself, you know what? I'm going to fail. So scrap it. Like, I'm, I'm just, I'm, there's no point in me doing it. I'm, I'm, not, I'm just not going to do it. And then I thought, why are we so afraid of failure? Like, why do we allow failure to have a grip on our entire life that keeps us from, from ever even trying to live it? And so that day in that gym, a project of mine was birthed entitled Chasing Failure. Man, this was the whole idea. Every single successful person you know has failed. Yet most of our world spends so much time trying to chase success. So I said, you know what? I'm going to start a line for failures. It's going to be great. I'm like, you know, I'm going to travel the world. I'm going to teach everybody how to fail. It's going to be great. Hey, this is how you fail, bro. Loser, loser, loser. Failure, failure, failure. They're like, they're going to be like, yeah, let's do this thing. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) And so I'm like, okay, all right. uh, All right, so we're going to fail. We're going to fail at the highest level. So um, this is great. Um, So how am I going to get an NBA team? to give me a tryout. So I did the thing we all do when we don't know what to do. I Googled it. And so, <laughs> so I found a website that had uh, all of the NBA team's press contacts. And so I just started emailing them. And I was like, hey, um, my name is Ryan and uh, I'm trying to fail. Uh, and, and here's the deal. And I, I'm just like making up a pitch. I have no idea. I'm just sitting at my laptop. I'm just a normal person. Like, like I'm not using some networking or connection. I, I'm just like, hey, I'm just a guy that's kind of crazy. And so uh, how about this? Um, how about, uh, I think I can help all of your fans, question mark. Um, I think that there are people in your city that have dreams and they're afraid to fail. And what if we pull those dreams off together? You believe in that so much, you let a complete stranger try out for your basketball team. Why not? And so the first team I sent it to was the Boston Celtics. So the Boston Celtics write me back in an hour and they say, hey, we really love this story, but it's not for us. I was like, okay, okay, wait a second. Did the Boston Celtics just email me? <laughs> like, what did you do today? You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm like what's going on? Like, how did this happen? And then uh, the Detroit Pistons, they wrote back, they're like, not for us. LA Clippers were like, hey, um, we get about 100 requests a month. And, um, and if we said yes, it would be a $50,000 permit just to film. I said, bless you in Jesus' name. That's cool. No, <laughs> we ain't got time for that. 
And then I'm, I'm, I'm sitting at my laptop on a Wednesday afternoon, and I get, I get an email back from the Phoenix Suns, and they say, hey, we love this idea. Come Monday. I'm like, you mean like, 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 like this, this, this coming Monday? I was kind of kidding. I didn't know we were actually going to do this thing. They're like, yeah, come Monday, Jeff Horner, Saxon, level. I'm like, Jeff Horner. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, yeah, bring your camera crew. I'm like, yeah, we'll be there. We'll be there. Don't you worry. Me and my camera crew, ooh, you just wait to see us. It's going to be great. I'm like, what are we doing? Call my wife. She's like, hey, what are we doing this week? And I'm like, oh, my. You know, I'm just going to Phoenix fast. I'll be back. Maybe. I don't know. I go to a guy at our church. I go, listen, I know this sounds really crazy. I just need you to get on a plane with me. We're going to go do something really fun, and we're going to Phoenix. He's like, dude, what are we going to Phoenix for? I was like, I want to tell you, but when I tell you, you're not going to believe me because you think I'm just a pastor. You're like, you're there, whatever. And so I was like, dude, I'm trying out for the Phoenix Suns. He goes, what are we really doing in Phoenix? I'm like, I'm serious. It's a heart attack. I'm like, we're really, I'm really trying out for the Phoenix Suns. He goes, and you want me to film it? I go, yeah, yes, that's, that, is, that is the plan. And so, um, I, so we fly to Phoenix, and, and you walk in, and he's like, like, I might be one of the tallest people in this room. I walk into this gym, and I'm the shortest person in the room. Uh, I mean, it, it's pretty humbling, okay? And, and like, they're like 19 years old. I'm like, listen, I could be your pastor, son. But he's like looking down at me like, what are you talking about? I'm like, oh, sorry. I mean, it, you, you're, you're like intimidating, and you're pretending. That's what you're doing. You're like, I can be here. What are you talking about? What? Pass me the ball. Give me the ball. What? I mean, but you're, you're going, how in the world did I get here? I'm about to die. <laughs> and, and so they're putting me through all of these drills like they would anybody else, and I'm just, I'm out of breath, but I'm trying to act like I'm not out of breath. I'm like, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. And, and, and we're, we're going back and forth, and, and then all of a sudden, Jeff Hornacek, he goes, you know, good job today, Ryan. I mean, he's patting me on the back. I know. I'm, I'm not an idiot. Well, we, we don't know. When you see this video, because you're going to go home and go to chasingfailure.com, and you're going to watch the documentary, spoiler alert, I failed. Um, <laughs> and and I, all of a sudden, uh, he's like, well, normally, we would, uh, you know, we'd have a guy do the, the three-minute drill, but, you know. You, you don't have to. I go, hey, 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 normally is right now, okay? So if somebody normally would do the three-minute drill, then I'm going to do the three-minute drill. Now, my friend had told me about the three-minute drill where you're shooting threes. I'm like, oh, this is my specialty. I'm about to win. I'm about to make the team. This is easy. I've already done this drill. No, no, no. He was talking about a different three-minute drill, and it's just pure sprinting. That's it. Now, here's what you have to understand. There is no real Olympic event where anybody sprints for three minutes, okay? Like, like. Like, only like the superior athletes of the world do this, okay? And he's like, hey, so you've got to get back and forth down the court. Um, he goes, you know, my average guard gets it about 28 times. He goes, Ryan, let me break it down for you. You have to get to the other end of the court in about five and a half seconds and then get back down here in another five and a half seconds. And you got to do that 28 times if you want to make this team. I go, cool, man. <laughs> so I get on the line. He's like, you want some water? I go, yeah, let me get some water. So, and everybody's like shooting and, and playing. I'm like, okay, this is good. This is good. They're not watching. Great. And all of a sudden, they put, they're like, hey, put the timer on. I go, hey, we don't have to do that. Can't, don't you got an Apple Watch? Just, 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 just pull out your phone. Dude, like, 
Why you got to make a scene? He goes, and we're going to put the score of however many times you get on the scoreboard of the Phoenix Sun Stadium. I'm like, why? Why do we need to do this? I thought we were just doing a three-minute drill. So, so I'm like, all right, here we go. And, and literally all the players stopped playing. Like they all stopped, like screeching halts, and they're just like, they're watching like, okay. Let's see if this, this pastor, okay, this, this stranger can, can, can be like us. I'm like, okay, we can do this. And boom, I took off running. And I was doing good. And I could see my score. I'm like, this ain't bad. This ain't bad. I'm doing good. And then I, I, I hit a wall. I mean, I literally thought I was going to die. <laughs> my back hurt. I couldn't breathe. I started getting a headache. And I'm just like, oh, my God. I'm like, Lord, this was the worst idea I have ever had in my entire life. And, like, you just feel everybody's looking at you like, this moron. What was he thinking? <laughs> and as I'm going back and forth, I started to see what I was running past. I was running past the Phoenix Suns logo. And I thought to myself, Ryan, how did you get here? And I realized chasing failure took me further than chasing success ever did. Where do you think it would take you? The question you gotta answer for yourself today is this. What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? An even better question than that. What would you do if you knew Jesus would catch you if you fell? What would you do? What is your deep water? What is the thing that you have felt an urge to do for a long time, but somebody said something to you that discouraged you a long time ago and it's kept you in the shallow end for life? What, 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 is, what is the thing that you would say, you know what, if I really wasn't scared, because can I tell you something? Chasing failure isn't about winning or losing. It's about living a life that does not have the fear of failure controlling it. Because now I'm a person, I'm going, man, I, I'm not afraid to fail. A, a guy who's in the NBA, I'm really good friends with, with his brother. He watched this documentary and he called me. He goes, you are my hero. I go, that doesn't make any sense because your brother's actually in the NBA. Your brother should be your hero. He goes, no, 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 no. He goes, I, I have so many unfinished projects that I just never hit send on. You, you had the bravery to hit, to hit send on an email to some complete strangers and I just don't. And I wish I had that. He goes, you, no, forget my brother, you. That's what happens when you're not afraid to fail. That's what happens when you don't have a fear of failure. You find yourself out in deep water going, Lord, catch me if I fall, but I wanna follow the rabbi wherever he goes. I don't wanna be in control of my own life. Lord, will you be the driver of my life? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I wanna give somebody the opportunity to let God be the driver of their life. I wanna give somebody the opportunity for, that for the very first time they would say, hey, I wanna surrender my life to Jesus. If you're in the room right now, you go at one of our locations that's watching and you, you say, hey, I absolutely need Jesus to be the center and controller of my life. And I am exhausted from trying to lean on my own understanding. If that's you, would you just slip up a hand? Would you just slip up a hand right now and say, hey, I, I want God to be the driver. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. You got two hands up. It's real. I see your hand. I see your hand. You want to surrender. 
Red Rocks team, we repeat this prayer together as a family with those that have their hands raised. Say, Jesus, thank you for dying on a cross for my sins. And I ask that you would be the controller, the decision maker of my life. I surrender it all to you. And I pray that I would follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody said amen. Come on, can we make some noise for every single person? Absolutely the best decision you've ever made in your entire life. Can we all stand at every campus? I'm going to pray over us one last time as we get ready to worship. And I pray that tonight, as, as we begin to, to sing, I, I pray that as we surrender, that we would, in our heart of hearts, really be surrendering the parts of our life that we want to hold on to, that we wouldn't be addicted to safe, but that we would be addicted to the rabbi that we follow. And his name is Jesus. Father, I thank you so much for Red Rocks Church. And I pray, God, that today you will be the Lord of our life. We surrender everything to you. And I pray, God, that there will be no area of our life where we are in the driver's seat. I pray, Lord God, that we would never be afraid to fail. And I pray, Lord God, that we would never go through any storm alone. And that we would have a life where we have a walk to remember. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody said.